My name is Braden Quishan. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hey there, Emerald Podcast listeners. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Gathered here in the room today, we have the three most cultured people currently and or formerly of the Arts and Culture Desk. <laughs> I'm Emerson Malone. I'm a podcast editor with the Daily Emerald. I'm Sarah Rosa Davies. I'm a music and arts and culture writer for the Emerald. And I'm Dana Alston. I'm a senior arts and culture writer for the Daily Emerald. And can I just say, say that you've put enormous pressure on both of us by using that claim at the top of the show? We're just emanating culture. Yeah, you can see it radiating from my body right now. It's radioactive. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today, Emerson? We're talking about streaming media, specifically on the website Netflix.com. Uh-huh. This idea was originally pitched to us by Carly Oath, who's not here, because she's in Florida. So, in... Her memory. We decided to record it. <laughs> Just to be clear, okay. we're we're this is going to be sort of a broad discussion about Netflix original series, what we think about them, and how we think Netflix is going to fare going forward. And Sarah Rosa, since you've already started, why don't you continue? All right. Um, so the show I really want to talk about is Love, which is a Netflix original um, starring. Oh my God, Paul Rust. Paul Rust. I was about to Gillian say Paul Rudd. Yes. <laughs> Emerson's got me. Um, Claudio Doherty. Yes, she's great in it. She's um, my favorite. <laughs> so anyways, Love is this look at like modern dating and relationships, but it's also an incredibly, incredibly, I think, provocative and like very realistic look at addiction and mental health and like the ways in which people can be flawed and like come together and still be flawed. But it's like a very beautiful story um so what what is it about specifically it's just about this kind of dorky guy played by paul rust named gus who they uh who lives in la and works for a tv show like he wants to be a writer he wants to be a movie writer but he works for this tv show called wichita about witches who live in kansas um and it's he, like a c grade cw show yeah um and he meets this woman uh mickey who i don't i forget how they meet in the first season but they meet through like I think they serendipity serendipity yeah they meet and they start dating but she has problems with addiction and um with like drug addiction also like love and sex and okay. the show just kind of follows them through their relationship and through sure. the troubles and all that stuff and just the people in their life and the friends they make and um Judd Apatow is one of the co-creators mm-hmm. Judd Apatow okay he's yeah. one of the three it's actually Judd Apatow Paul Rust and I believe it's her name is Leslie, Leslie Arfin, Arfin who's, who's Paul Rust's wife yes yeah and she okay. has done some stuff for Rookie which is a website so now that, like. now that you've attached that star power it got a lot more interesting yeah. to be honest with you the narrative yeah. at its onset sounded like a C-grade CW show but um but now that like yeah I mean Apatow is so good Especially in movies like Super Bad at capturing like awkwardness mm-hmm. and free flowing, creating free free flowing comedy out of that kind of awkwardness. So, I have not seen the show, but I'm much more yeah. interested now that you're. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good thing to specify about the shows. I w- initially was not interested at all. I was like, "What's that show called Love doing? Like, why why call it Love? Why it's paint kind of such a, kind of a broad title? Yeah, I was gonna say why paint such broad strokes? Shooting for the stars. Yes. Uh, 
But I, I think it's executed really well, and the second season just came out in March, I believe. Um, and I think it's one of the most nuanced looks at addiction I've seen on television. Um, and the show is as much about love as it is about mental health stuff. Um, yeah, um, uh, you mentioned earlier how Gillian Jacobs' character struggles with addiction, and I'm not even sure if it's a thing they invented for the show or what, but I've never seen something called Sex and Love on Ad- Addicts Anonymous portrayed in any thing in pop culture. It's not real. No, I think it is. I think, uh, I mean... I mean, sex addiction is very real. Well, yeah. sure, yeah, and love. Like, that was, that's the part that throws me off. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, I like, see. Uh, it's like for people who are trying to resist codependency. So is it a bit of a satire then? No. No, I, it's really it's really earnest. Okay. Yeah. I can't guarantee, but I do think Love and Sex Anonymous, like, exists. Um, I think there, there's different, I know there's, like, like pe- kind of, like, Alcoholics Anonymous, like, AA, but it's, there's, I know there's one actually for, like, eating, for, like, people who have, are dependent on food. Like, there right. are different versions of it. Um, sure. Kind of going back to, like, depictions of, like, AA meetings and, like, that stuff, that depiction of um, addiction on the show. The only other show I've seen on television or, like, recently that I think also deals with that is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is not on Netflix. It's actually a CW show. Oh. Interesting. Um, Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that we're starting to see more addiction covered on in pop culture. I will say, I don't care if the show dwindles in quality in the forthcoming seasons. I will keep watching it Mm -hmm. because of Claudio Doherty, who plays (laughs) Mickey's Australian roommate, and she's just super weird and she's like got amazing comedic timing okay speaking of australian it reminds me there's another actress who played a weird australian roommate in bridesmaids um she played fat amy in pitch perfect rebel wilson rebel wilson so maybe, is she australian is she australian yes she yes, is she is but um this just continues the trend of strange australian roommates causing ruckus it's awesome i want an australian yeah. roommate and Mickey's character development, I'm not Mickey, um, Claudio Doherty's character's development yeah. in the second season is really amazing, too. Like, they, like, go much deeper into who she is, and you're like, oh, she's weird for a reason. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what's your favorite Netflix original series? Uh, so I was debating this because I have some feelings about Netflix original series that I'm going to get into a little bit later. Um, if I had to pick one, I mean, the one that I got addicted to pretty quickly was Stranger Things. Um, I was going to pick Black Mirror, but that's not technically a Netflix original. That originally premiered on BBC, and then it got picked up by Netflix in its third season. Uh, Stranger Things, I mean, it's an immensely popular show that combines elements from Spielberg and John Carpenter and a variety of sci-fi slash horror. Stephen King's variety of sci-fi slash horror elements into this story about... A group of kids and their adults in the in a small town in Ohio, or if in, not in Ohio, then somewhere in the nebulous Midwest. <laughs> um, mysterious things are happening, stranger things, you might say, and it's their job to get to the bottom of this mystery, which takes all sorts of weird twists and turn twists and turns. I mean, aesthetically, the show looks and sounds beautiful constantly. Yeah which is pretty much the main reason to watch it. Not to say that the actors do a poor job. I, I think Winona Ryder is sort of out of her depth as the mother to the main character, Will. But that doesn't mean that she's miscast. I think she hits the right notes. She just seems a little... She's not a great actress. She's capable. Right. Um, the w- thing that was really interesting to me when 
I first started watching Stranger Things was the idea that this this like horror aesthetic that you're describing, like pulling directly from real life cultural influences from the 80s. It's now like it is an aesthetic now. Like yeah. it's a thing that's like portrayed and it's a callback. Absolutely. I think in the 2000s you had sort of a revival of the, and this is films my beat so I'm just going to compare this to film a little bit. In 2000s you had this revival of it, I guess in both films and music of sort of a 70s vibe. Mm. Um you know the 70s were a time when in Hollywood where they make very artful violent pictures. You had stuff like There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men came out in the same year that sort of matched that kind of aesthetic. I think as we go into the 2010s and the 2010s get further along, the 80s are becoming a, a major cultural well from which to draw. Um, Maybe in, it's just a, a three-decade Yeah, it's a three-decade gap. Cycling it's a, through. <laughs> yeah, it's a gate you have to cross in order to, like, draw from it. Yeah, Stranger Things is good. It, it's riveting. I mean, it's hard to stop once you start watching it. I remember yeah. my cousin calling me right after it premiered saying that he was only going to watch one with his girlfriend and then they stayed up the entire night and finished it so that's um have you guys ever binge watched anything in a in one sitting like that yes i've never finished something in one sitting like that uh i did but before the days of netflix streaming when right. i was I, I my family and i watched entire seasons of 24 <laughs> nice yeah i think broad city i think i was sick for like three days and i went through that show fast yeah. hold on all 24 episodes well, not all of them, but more like 16 at a time. Like we were, yeah, it was a Saturday family activity. <laughs> That's great. Um, but, you know, we talk about binge watching. I think this is a good chance to segue into a discussion of Netflix itself and how they the, criteri- the criteria they use to select and or create series. Mm. I mean, I haven't seen Love. Is Love bingeable? It is, I would say. Yeah. I would, I would say agree. like each episode ends they got like a button on each one that's like you want to keep going. Yeah. Oh, and then the first season ends and you're like ah! Yeah, exactly. So they there are a lot of cliffhangers you could say. Yes, yeah. So that's a that's something that I've caught I mean, that's the staple of television in general mm-hmm. or it's tough if you can actually call this television, but you know what I mean. That they that they end with a cliffhanger because you're supposed to make the viewer come back, but I think Netflix shows take a much broader view of that or they they apply it to them on a much more broad scale i think the series themselves are meant to are meant to be bingeable rather than just episodes like you're meant they're meant to you're meant to get through them quickly which is why i think stranger things on subsequent viewings got less and less interesting to diminishing returns for absolutely diminishing returns and it's especially true with other series they've done i mean daredevil first three episodes of daredevil were amazing and those first three episodes powered me through the rest of the series, mm. which gradually transformed into hot garbage by the end of the second season. I haven't seen that, nor the other Marvel series, no, Jessica Jones. Well, th- there's also Iron Fist, which ah. has been get- getting critically panned, I might add, mm. which has caused me to avoid it entirely. I want to talk about Master of None, because I think that oh, show great one, yeah. was really great and very light in a really nice way. I think, like, the way, it, like, I'm usually not a huge, huge Aziz Ansari fan, but something about Master of None, I think, really dealt with the immigrant experience and, like, mm-hmm. being young in such a wonderful and sweet way. Like, I love that Aziz Ansari cast his actual parents in the yeah, in that, and I think it's a really amazing artistic choice to make. Sure. Um, but I rewatched it recently, and 
it, it didn't have that same quality that it had at first, that sweet kind of like hazy glow that the yeah. show had. And I think that's because it was meant to be. My parents and I binged it in like a week, you know? Yeah. It's interesting you bring up Master of None. I had forgotten of that one about that mm-hmm. one when I was making my list. I completely agree with you, though. I think it's something that falls outside of what I've normally seen from Aziz Ansari. Uh, like, his stand-up doesn't do much for me. I think, honestly... Like, I like Parks and Rec, but I think his character on Parks and Rec is pretty, like, annoying at times, yeah. even though that's kind of his thing. Yeah, Master of None is great. What I connected with it is because is that it came from a generational perspective that I could relate to. Mm-hmm. Out, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm, my family is not made up of immigrants. I'm not an immigrant, but I am, you know, within 15 years of a season, sorry. And I think... Is he com- technically a millennial? Is he? I think, I think so. Like... The definition of millennial changes from think piece to think piece, though. <laughs> like, um, but I think what he manages to pull off with Master of None is create a series that appeals to millennials in a lot of ways. There's that. There's that. I think it's the last episode where he, ma- he imagines a conversation between he and his current girlfriend deciding whether or not they want to get married, and the two of them decide they don't want to because why would they get married? Yeah. They're already committed to each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. That's such a modern sensibility. That yeah. you don't often see portrayed yeah. in television or in media in general. And my parents, who aren't millennials, loved it. I think even more than I did. And I think for the reason, because maybe it gave them like a perspective on our generation that they hadn't necessarily gotten. Like an easy, like a show that's approachable for millennials, but also for the people involved in millennials' lives that aren't, you know, it's almost like an easy look at millennials. Yeah. Well, there are generational themes. I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned that he casts, casted both of his parents as his character's parents. Mm-hmm. There's that episode where they meet Rachel's grandmother, mm-hmm. and it become, the whole episode becomes about the generational divide between the grandmother and Aziz Ansari's character mm-hmm. and how they're able to bridge that through a shared love of music, and they accept one another, and it's all well and good. Mm-hmm. I sort of came up with an idea a few months back and I'm not sure if I can totally knock it and I want to just test it. Do you guys think on the whole Netflix is popular because it's convenient and it's more entertaining than staring at a blank wall for the most part? Do I think Netflix is more entertaining than staring at a blank wall? Yeah, like we will watch garbage shows all the way through because it's super easy, it's accessible and my alternative is staring at a wall. Well, I don't think it's that I don't think it's necessarily that extreme. When we say garbage shows, it's all relative. Right. Um, one of the things, I mean, when I look at something like, and I apologize to any fans out there who are listening, Vampire Diaries, <laughs> I know objectively that's, that's, that's a, a piece of- That's a big chunk of, of our audience, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't alienate people. <laughs> when I he, look, doesn't, he doesn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I look at Vampire Diaries, which I have been forced to watch at one point or another- I know objectively that that show is poor. When I watch something on Netflix, the production value is such that I know, like, that aesthetically at least, which is what we talked about in A Stranger Things, they're at least pretty looking and sounding. Right. Um, Netflix has a very interesting approach to production value because it all seems very calculated. How so? Look at BoJack Horseman and just oh, the character list in there. It's like Will Arnett and Paul F. Tompkins and Amy Sedaris. And Aaron Paul. Yeah. And it's like you're just like catering to a very specific kind of person. Yeah, they're creating niches with shows. Right. 
Yeah, I I completely agree. But to answer your question directly, I don't. I think Netflix is more entertaining than staring at a blank wall, but I don't think it would remain such over a long length of time. Right. It, but you, what don't you think you're you may be compelled to watch? shows that are inferior to stuff that you might find on another channel just because it's so easy to access it that's what i'm trying to get at you know yes actually for me yeah because i don't I, think i would have watched all of easy no i no. yeah i don't think i would have watched like i watched netflix shows that i don't think I ever would have began like love i think about as like something that i initially judged as i didn't like it because love this big you know but right. then i found out that judd apatow and all these different things were you know um, all these different people I liked were involved with it and then I watched it and kept sticking with it even when it got frustrating um, and I also watch a lot of Netflix when I cook instead of like staring at a blank wall when I cook like I think Netflix shows some of them not all of them are good to tune out to in a way as if you're staring at a blank wall. Well that's just that was true with television yeah. back when television ruled the airwaves back when people had television <laughs> those were the days yeah. all right you're listening to the emerald podcast network we're <laughs> signing off now um if you'd like to hear more you can subscribe on itunes and soundcloud etc dailyemerald.com i'm emerson malone i'm sarah rosa davies i'm dana olson thanks, thanks for listening <laughs>